With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to TNTradio.live. This is The Patrick Henningsen Show on TNT Radio. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Welcome back. This is hour number two, this live broadcast. Appreciate you guys joining us. Big hello to everybody in the TNT chat community. Great to see you guys in there. Great to see the numbers uh, growing as well this week in the TNT chat community. I think we had 130 uh, in our chat room at one point. That's where you want to be during the live broadcast. Whether you're listening or whether you're watching us, you want to be in the TNT chat community. We have a great group of people in there. This is where you get all the best links. This is where the banter happens. This is where the memes are circulated amongst the, those in the know. So hello and thank you guys for your efforts there, keeping the information more lively in the TNT chat community. Brilliant. Now, a uh, great segment. I, I can't say enough about our last guest. Uh, Leila Hatoum has uh, been a great uh, asset to our program in terms of offering analysis from on the ground in the Middle East. She is one of the best uh, that we've seen on the scene in terms of analysis and reporting, especially with regards to what's happened in Gaza over the last uh, seven weeks. And it's very unfortunate what's happened from a humanitarian point of view. Uh, there's tremendous human suffering. We can't forget that. Of course, people have uh, suffered on both sides, uh, on the Israeli side as well as the Palestinian side. The only difference, of course, is we have to caveat this, is that the Palestinian suffering has been intense and ongoing and great uh, for the better part of 75 years. So this is a problem that the world just does not want to touch, that does not want to address and I think it has a lot to do with the fact the United States is standing behind Israel with a very big stick. And that stick takes many forms. And not only that, the Israeli lobby, let's face it, folks, and it's not me saying this, uh, they have absolutely colonized uh, the U.S. legislature, Congress and Senate, as well as other institutions in the United States. And this basically results in a very narrow frame of reference on this issue. Uh, we just don't get the sort of plurality of debate anymore in the United States that we had on this issue, let's say back in the 90s or even in the 80s, of course, and in the 70s. That's not happening anymore. It's much more polarized. It's much more narrow. And I think that has a lot to do with decades of investment by well-heeled lobbyists. They pumped billions of dollars uh, into this information and political effort. And now you're seeing the results of it now. Very little pushback, people afraid to speak up, afraid to censure the Israeli government for what they're doing. Everybody's scared for their political life. It's as simple as that, especially in the US and in the UK, because certain people who have uh, spoken out on this issue have paid a very, a very dear price indeed. So there's a lot of incentive for people to toe the party line. And in terms of the party line, we're talking about the two party, the the uniparty, the war party. Uh, both parties seem to be in lockstep on this issue and they're allowing Israel to basically run riot and rapacious bombing campaigns using a military armed and backed by the US to indiscriminately target civilians uh, in a very densely populated area. There's too many war crimes that have already been ticked here in terms of the boxes of the Geneva Convention International Law. What can we say? It's so far beyond the pale right now, folks. It even defies basic analysis. It is, it's sort of in the realm of farce at the moment. The fact that we even have this conversation is 
something extraordinary, actually. And uh, I don't really know what more we can say that hasn't already been said, but we will continue to report you great analysis, facts, breaking developments, and also things that are not being reported in the mainstream media. Why? Because we want to make sure that our audience is better informed than the audience at the Washington Post, at CNN, at the New York Times. We hope that TNT listeners and viewers will be better informed. And that's thanks to everybody on this team at TNT, uh, but also our great bevy of analysts. And also you, our listeners, with some great news tips as well. We appreciate you. We do look at those and sometimes integrate those into our broadcast too so thank you again everybody in the tnt wider tnt chat community brilliant work uh, on everybody's on everybody's front so excellent now in terms of international politics we're going to go to break in a minute um but we we've been talking a lot about this uh while all the eyes have been on gaza uh, there's been a lot of moves um, in ukraine and i'm going to tell you that there are going to be some bombshells dropped with regards to the Biden corruption scandal as it tracks back to Ukraine. And what we're finding is very interesting, uh, and we published an extensive report on this, there's another one coming at 21st Century Wire, but what we found is this, is during the tenure of Barack Obama, during two terms, Joe Biden was effectively in charge of the Ukraine portfolio. Nobody paid much attention to it at the time. A lot of people joke about the vice presidency in America as being the sort of, you know, kind of an also bolt-on sort of office. The VP doesn't do much, cuts a few ribbons, shows up at a tractor factory, attends a few rubber chicken dinners to raise money for the re-election campaign. What else does the VP do? The truth is the VP does a lot, but a lot of what the VP does Besides having, like, for instance, the tie-breaking vote um, in in the Senate, you can see Kamala Harris, the current VP of Biden. She's very active in that role because it's such a tight spread in terms of the seats. Uh, Democrats have a slight majority at the moment. That hasn't always been the case. What is the VP in charge of? Well, the VP has also had, well, at least at least symbolically, but maybe more so under Biden, is really in charge of the National Security Council. If you look at the hierarchy of power in Washington, that's a fact. So they'll also be given some of the more sensitive uh, foreign policy portfolios. And uh, let me just explain this to you, okay? Mike Pence, Donald Trump's VP, a lot of people will think, oh, what did Mike Pence do as president? Didn't do a whole lot. Actually, Mike Pence, the United States had two unsuccessful coup attempts in Venezuela under the Trump administration. Hugely embarrassing, by the way. And I think Elliot Abrams and John Bolton had something to do with at least one of these oper failed operations. Very embarrassing. Notice how the U.S. media didn't cover it at all. Okay, Mike Pence ran point on the public-facing part of that operation. Probably had high-level security clearance on the back-end op ops. Two failed coups. I mean, it was a disaster. If you think Jimmy Carter's failed exfiltration of U.S. hostages in Iran in 1979 was bad, uh, this was just beyond a joke. It would have made a good Hollywood comedy, actually, as these two failed coup attempts to unseat Nicolas Maduro in Venezuela. And so who was a Mike Pence was, was running. They made Mike Pence do a bilingual video addresses to the Venezuelan people telling them to accept Juan Guaido as their savior and future president. I mean, so he, it was very cringeworthy at the time. Most people don't remember it. Mike Pence right now is just kind of a footnote, really, 
politically, although his role in the J6, uh, January 6th controversy, of course, that's probably the most notable thing that people are focusing on. So, but with Joe Biden in Ukraine, there was a lot going on. A lot of very powerful people in the U.S. were using Ukraine as a ATM machine, as a cash point, and cashing in on sovereign debt. And it's very hard to track some of these financial crimes because some of them are running through hedge funds. Um, so there's a layer, there's a layer of uh, of cover there uh, with some of these financial uh, operations. But we're talking potentially billions of dollars uh, was siphoned from Ukraine via the state budget and then laundered through sovereign debt, high yield bonds, purchased at a discount and sold for a margin. And everybody was in on it. Of course, many Ukrainian officials, including Petro Poroshenko, is also accused of doing this. So who are these whistleblowers like Andriy Dukash? and also uh, Dubinsky as well, Alexander Dubinsky. Um, all these people have been tried and convicted or arraigned uh, or indicted, if you will, uh, for various charges by the Zelensky judiciary. They're basically trying to purge all of these characters from the scene. And uh, so that's what's going on. They're basically tying up all the loose ends. They don't want anything tracking back to the Biden corruption scandal. That's what's going on in Ukraine. Okay, total suspension of democracy. We knew about the suspension of the free press and the targeting of the uh, Ukrainian Orthodox Church and uh, the targeting of people using the Russian language. So this is really kind of a state in decline. And the United States has huge influence uh, in the inner workings of the Ukrainian government. Uh, why? Because they're paying for it. That's first and foremost. Zelensky is really serving at the pleasure of the U.S. and Britain. And everybody kind of who is familiar with the internal situation there knows that very well. He's also serving somewhat at the pleasure of what's left of the uh, the, the power base, the Ukrainian deep state. Um, not so much the electorate, as the country has uh, broken up in to pieces uh, in recent years. So it's not the same Ukraine as it was a few years ago. So how does this track back to Joe Biden? It's a huge embarrassment. We have the, the, the Durkash tapes. We have Biden implicated in a bribery scandal, the FBI 1023s. Uh, all of this stuff comes together now in the run-up to what looks like maybe articles of impeachment from the House of Representatives. Uh, so this is a very real thing. So this is going to be a very difficult uh, kickoff for the Democrats' election. If Biden is in the seat, you're going to have all this extra impeachment stuff coming to the fore, not unlike what Trump was plagued with during his presidential run in 2020. And so the, the difference between the Trump impeachment and the Biden impeachment will be that actually the Republicans have receipts for Biden corruption. Uh, there's plenty of it laying around, and the Ukrainians are busy trying to sweep it up and get rid of it, including the people involved, including investigative journalists like Alexander uh, Dubinsky, who's been brought up on treason charges, and Andrei Durkash, who was working with Rudy Giuliani on the corruption investigation when Giuliani was sent over there to depose uh, Viktor Shokin and other uh, top-ranking Ukrainian officials that had knowledge or were involved in some way, shape, or form uh, with the Biden corruption scandal in Ukraine. So all that's going to come out in the wash during the uh, House impeachment hearings, and there's going to be people brought to the stand, and the world is going to hear it. It's going to be on the record. It's hugely embarrassing. It's a very embarrassing chapter in U.S. history. Why? Well, it just seems like some U.S. politicians and people belonging to the donor class uh, had their hands in the cookie jar 
and were using Ukraine for their own uh, purposes, either financially or politically, because as we also know, there was Ukrainian interference in the 2020 election and also in the 2016 election as well. That's been proven, and that doesn't get talked about a lot. Why? Because it's kryptonite for the U.S. media. So there you go, folks. That's the way the story rolls. Let's take a break here with TNT, Today's News Talk. I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host. We'll be right back after these messages. TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. The double standard is out there. It's so obvious. It's so frustrating. Eric Holder gets held in contempt of Congress for defying a congressional subpoena. Nothing happens. Obama's DOJ didn't pursue it. Steve Bannon and Peter Navarro defy a congressional subpoena. Joe Biden's DOJ criminally prosecutes them. Criminally prosecutes them for defying a congressional subpoena. And now we've got congressional subpoenas of Hunter Biden and James Biden, the resident's brother. And guess what? Nothing's going to be done by Merrick Garland, Barack Obama, Joe Biden's DOJ. That's right. I said Barack Obama. Obama's the shadow president. He's not the one pulling the strings. He wasn't pulling the strings in his own administration. You know, Valerie Jarrett was his minder. Where is the Iranian-born Valerie Jarrett these days? Haven't seen or heard much of her. It's because the Democrats are smart. Timothy Shea on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. I wanted to alleviate my pain. I also didn't want to be who I was. I always just felt like there was just something wrong with me, and I was trying to figure it out, and I used the internet to help me do that. Seemingly out of nowhere, we've suddenly seen a huge spike in media depictions and social media depictions of transgenderism. It's even reached the mainstream advertising world. The people who are consuming this are children, 13, 14, 15 years old. And it's so easy for them to literally be groomed. I just woke up one day, looked at myself in the mirror, and asked myself, what the heck am I doing? When trans-identified kids are referred to specialized gender clinics, they're often told that they're going to get comprehensive, multidisciplinary mental health assessments. We know that that's not true. I was easy to manipulate. The ideology that has become dominant at these clinics is that trans kids know who they are, and therefore to question them is completely taboo. My childhood was ruined. Who's there for their detransitioning? Nobody. Nobody would help me because they had more concerns of me reversing everything. Did this thing to alleviate this gender dysphoria that wasn't there before, but you made it into a problem, and now your body image issues are worse. That's not supposed to happen. What do we do now? D-Trans, the dangers of gender-affirming care. For more information, go to PragerU.com. If you're still wearing a cloth or surgical mask around in public, you're guilty of spreading COVID misinformation. It really is that simple. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to TNT Today's News Talk. I'm Patrick Kennings, your host. We're in the second hour of this live broadcast. We'll be joined imminently with our legal correspondent in New York City, Matthew Russell Lee from Inner City Press, going to join us in a few. Before we that, we're talking about Ukraine before the break. And also the latest here, you can kind of see some wavering going on on previously solid positions. One of them is Ukraine's entry into NATO. Okay. You remember the talk? You remember the 
uh, guarantees and the decrees from Jan Stoltenberg, uh, from Joe Biden, from the British Prime Minister, which Prime Minister? There's been so many, Sunak, Liz Truss, Boris Johnson, they're all said, yes, 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 Ukraine's going to be in NATO. So Zelensky is sort of backpedaling a little bit on this now. Uh, he's basically admitting that Ukraine may never join NATO. Oh, wow, this is kind of paving the way, isn't it, for a sort, sort of a walk back, as it were, maybe even some kind of negotiated settlement uh, with Russia, perhaps, who says that this isn't going to happen. Members of the uh, U.S.-led NATO bloc, or the U.S.-controlled NATO bloc, I should add, have stated on numerous occasions that it's not the right time for Kiev. It's just not the right time. Zelensky said, when are we going to be in NATO? And you say, oh, it's not the right time, Vladimir. Ask us uh, next year at the summit. Uh, we're, we're busy now. We're really busy now with the, with Israel and the Palestine issue. So Zelensky is basically banging his pots and pans together, getting nowhere on it. And he had a meeting with some university students in uh, a somewhat besieged city of Nikolayev. This is down towards Odessa and on this week. So he basically hinted to these students that Ukraine may never join NATO, if you can believe that. So this is interesting. And, you know, don't forget, Zelensky campaigned on this kind of anti-war pledge, this anti-war ticket. And he is now promising another wave of forced conscription. So Zelensky is running press gangs on the street, press gangs to basically grab any able-bodied male of whatever age, between 18 and 60, believe it or not. You think I'm kidding. Press ganging basically anybody they can with a pulse. And so he's talking to these students here. I can't imagine what that's like. Students given a deferment uh, if they're at university, I think, if I'm not mistaken. So it's probably quite popular to try to get into university and what's left of Ukraine. But Zelensky was replying to a question by one of the students. And this is interesting how this came up. And it was about the future of Ukraine's national security. And Zelensky explained that he didn't know whether Ukraine would be able to join NATO ever. And this is what he said. I quote Vladimir Zelensky, the president, some say, of Ukraine, at least symbolically now anyway. But this is what Zelensky said. We don't know how it will turn out. No one will be able to answer that for sure. Either we will be in NATO or we won't be in NATO. Yeah, it was pro profound there by Zelensky. Uh, we want to, but, but, but. There's a lot of buts in this. Okay, so uh, shoot over to Brussels and U.S. Secretary of State for United States and Israel, uh, Anthony Blinken, reaffirmed that Ukraine can become a member of NATO. So it's funny how Zelensky saying one thing, and Blinken saying another. Blinken claims that when allies agree and the conditions are met, so when allies agree, in other words, NATO members agree, do you really think Turkey's ever going to vote for Ukraine to join NATO with the joint pipeline projects with Russia and all the rest of it? Mm, I kind of doubt it. And there's a few other countries like Hungary, for instance, and there's a few others as well. They're not going to be on board with this. So this is interesting how this is shaping up politically. So Ukraine is well on the path to NATO, claims Antony Blinken. Really? Are they? As well as to the European Union. Really? So the trafficking capital of Europe, uh, be it drugs, human trafficking, organs, 
sex trafficking and other contraband coming through Ukraine. That's really what it's offering Europe at the moment. Uh, so will it be uh, a European Union member? Will it be able to normalize? Do you want the Schengen zone to include Ukraine? A lot of problems there. Similar problems that you have with Turkey becoming a member of the European Union. So on the NATO and the EU front, it doesn't look good for Ukraine right now. So they think the accession process is beginning with the EU, but that could take years. And really, it all depends on whether European countries think it's a good idea. And the love affair, the honeymoon with Ukraine is definitely worn off. Okay, it's definitely worn off. They've fallen out of love. It was exciting. It was a whirlwind romance with Europe. But I think the thrill is gone, well and truly. I think we can say that for sure now, especially with all eyes now on the Middle East, fixated with the Middle East, wanting to get away from the embarrassment that is one of the biggest proxy wars in modern history, if not the biggest. More money has been pumped into Ukraine, more weapons than any other military theater uh, in modern history. Okay. So, and what has it netted? Has it brought victory to Kiev? No, just the opposite, a series of crushing defeats. And just look at the map, look at their population, look at their GDP, look at all this. Is it sustainable as a country going forward or will it permanently rely on international aid and bailouts? That's what it looks like now. So this is how things are shaping up. And also on the NATO front, Sweden. Sweden hasn't become a member. We were told that was a slam dunk, you remember? That was a fait accompli. Sweden was going to be a member of NATO. Finland basically did a fast track in there, voted in parliament, and uh, everybody seemed to accept uh, the Finnish uh, entry into NATO. Sweden's being hung up by Turkey. Turkey's one country that has not voted uh, to allow Sweden into NATO. All the NATO members have to vote unanimously. If they're in dissenters, it's going to hold up the membership bid of the new country. Why would Sweden want to be a member of NATO when they've enjoyed neutrality status for the longest time, never threatened by the Russian Federation? But if they're a member of NATO, they will be threatened. There's actually a lot of problems with Sweden. One of them is Sweden's arms manufacturing sector. It's not insignificant. We're talking about Saab. You, know, you probably know Saab from the car manufacturing sector, but do you know that these same uh, companies like Saab are also doing uh, shoulder-mounted missiles, NLAWs, the type of things that are being shipped by the tens of thousands into Ukraine. Those, many of those anyway, even shipped to the UK, by the way, many of those manufactured either in Sweden by Saab or one of its offshore manufacturers located in places like Ireland and other countries. That's the reality. Okay, so Sweden is not actually a neutral player if they're arming the Ukraines as belligerents, as co-belligerents. So Turkey's hanging up their... Turkey has to vote. They have to ratify in Turkish parliament in Ankara. They have to ratify Swedish membership into NATO. And they haven't done it. They've kicked the can down the road for the, till, the, till the winter. This could end up becoming something for the spring legislative session in Turkey. Now, we warned about this before. Remember, we had Dr. John Arrington on the program in the summer. We talked about how this is going to get kicked over into the fall. Here we are in the fall getting into the winter now yeah we're well and truly in the winter now and uh, sweden is no closer uh to getting their nato membership bid and turkey's no closer to ratifying that in the turkish parliament this is exactly as we had warned and why the media was saying oh sweden's already a member do you remember all that no no they're not they're not they never were never it, it's not over till the fat lady sinks and the fat lady is in ankara right now and she is not singing yet so it's not happened. So sorry, Sweden, not there yet. 
will they ever get there? I'm not sure. I'm not sure the way they're sort of burning Qurans in Stockholm in front of the Turkish embassy, not doing themselves any favors if they really truly want to be a member of NATO. But I think there's there's quite an anti-NATO block that's forming in Sweden. So you might see as as the thrill of the Ukraine uh, effort is, as it were, and the appeal of the kind of virtue signaling of all things Zelensky in Ukraine, as that subsides, what you're going to see, of course, is a political shift within Sweden. The more time, the more delay that happens, the, the less the appeal or, or the less the sense of urgency. Because how it was being sold by the US and Britain back in the spring of 2022 is that the Russians are coming to get you. Russians are coming to get you, and the only way to protect yourself is to be a member of NATO. And that's no longer the case, or at least they can't, it was never the case, but they can't really sell that idea in the same way they're able to with all the hype and excitement back in uh, March, April, May of 2022. So it's a very different scene. That's why we're always looking at the shifting winds and the shifting sands of politics, because, listen, gentlemen, these are political problems to begin with, and the solutions will always invariably be political as well. Politics matters, and even in matters of statecraft and war. In fact, they are absolutely pivotal. This is why we're telling you what we tell you so that you know what's coming, so that you can read the tea leaves, and you can actually predict what the outcome is going to be. That's one of the things we do on the show. We've been very successful at it. In the past, I think you guys will agree in the TNT chat room, have we not been on point on so many different aspects of all these issues over the last two years? I think we have. Let's take a break here with TNT, today's news talk. And when we come back, we'll connect our legal correspondent in the Big Apple, Matthew Russell Lee from Inner City Press, fresh off the floor of the Southern District of New York Federal Court. What's Matthew seen and heard? We'll find out all of that. On the other side, I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host. Stick around for the final segment of the final hour of this broadcast in just a moment. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. It's for the greater good. Have you noticed how often you've heard that expression? Mostly every time someone's advocating taking your rights away? The greater good. It connotes the old phrase, the common good, right? We're doing this for the common good. And we're gonna, yes, we're taking some of your income, but we're doing it for the common good. Well, that's shifted now to the greater good. Greater for whom? Never seems to be greater for me or for you. Always seems to be greater for them. And who gets to decide for whom it's greater? Why, well, they do, of course be silly to allow you and me to be able to determine what's in the greater good and for whom. This is the insidious underbelly of the totalitarian governmental impulse. And it's not just here in the United States, it's in Ireland, it's in the EU, it's in Australia and New Zealand. China, they don't even have to bother about it. They do what they're told. That's the entire essence of a totalitarian regime. But what's scary is how many democratic regimes want to emulate the totalitarian regimes. For the greater good, I'll take a hard pass. For MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for TNT Radio. Hi, I'm Abel. I often forget to mention that he's an amputee because Abel will try any activity he can. 
My own helps me with basically everything. He doesn't see what he can't do. He sees what he can do. Yeah, okay. this is helping. The War Amps has just given him the ability to do all the activities every kid can do. When you donate to the War Amps, you help kids like me. Thank you. You're with Patrick Henningsen on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back. Welcome back, folks. We're live and direct here in the final segment of the final hour at TNT. This is Friday, folks. It's been a momentous week, to say the least. The amount of stories, the amount of major impactful events in the world. We've covered it all Monday to Friday. Well, almost all of it as well. Fridays is also a time when we delve into the legal dramas and the legal traumas. And one of the places where these are festering is down in the halls of the Southern District of New York Federal Court in New York City. We're going to connect with our legal course. Matthew Russell Lee from Inner City Press to hear the latest. And uh, yeah, (laughs) I can't wait uh, to speak to Matthew and what surprises he has in store for us. Matthew, how are you doing? Okay, pretty good, Patrick. Uh, Glad to speak with you. Um, I do have a surprise. Maybe it's a totally unexpected surprise for you. We have Trump, we have Eric Adams, we have George Santos. But before all that, we have Charles McGonigal, the former FBI uh, official, he pled guilty to helping uh, a Russian oligarch. He was a pretty, he, he signed on for about 51 months of prison time, but he last night at midnight filed his sentencing memorandum asking for no jail time, saying he's extremely sorry. He had a great career for the FBI. And this, what I thought, what I thought of you as soon as I saw it was one of his support letters is from a former FBI guy called O'Shaughnessy. And mm-hmm. he says, among the good deeds, everyone was another letter said that, you know, McGonagall uh, took the snow out of my driveway. He's a very nice guy. He does seem to be a very personal guy. He has a lot of he went on a lot of vacations with a lot of people. But Shaughnessy says the greatest thing he ever did was they had an FBI agent named Angry Kevin. He doesn't give the last name for maybe obvious reasons. Angry Kevin was kind of at wit's end at his career at the agency. And so McGonagall went and gave him the, quote, Bradley Manning slash Julian Assange WikiLeaks case, and it made Angry Kevin's career. And now, of course, this might really work for the sentencing judge. This might seem to be like, ah, okay, you you took bribes, but you referred the the. Uh, and again, I put in quotes Bradley Manning. Every time I say that word, I get a lot of a lot of pushback in terms of dead name. Yeah. But that's. That's in the letter, so I'm not. It's in the so. What do you say? The caveat. I've I've been pushed back on this as well, Matthew. Yeah, what I, I wanted to is, make it clear. It's in quotes. I, I, I say Bradley Manning, or I, uh, now known as Chelsea Manning. So I, I have Correct. to. Correct. I think, but it was it. sort of yeah. the way I'm, I'm staring at the letter now. I'm gonna. This will make it absolutely clear that what we're talking about here. It says, one short war story. Most of the folks on our squad were Type A high needs achievers. If anything, they needed to be held back when working their cases. These folks did not take supervision well or lightly. One guy on the squad was known as Angry Kevin, but Charlie went over to the Hoover building one day and came back with the Bradley Manning slash Julian Assange case, WikiLeaks, that he puts in quotes, gave it to Angry Kevin, and that case made Kevin's reputation. Kevin has gone on to have a truly outstanding career with the FBI, which continues to this day. Kevin is an excellent SSA in his own right. So we're going deep on this one, but I... These are why sentencing letters, I fight hard to get them unsealed because it's always interesting to know 
what the defendant thinks is going to work with the judge to say, like, ah, you know, forget the crime. This is the guy that brought down Julian Assange. You know, or, or I, and also, I don't know if people know, it seems like if this was my main, if the WikiLeaks beat was my main beat, I would, be, maybe people know who Angry Kevin is. I thought I would throw it out there for, for, for crowdsourcing purposes. I also can tell you this, again, because you, you changed my coverage, Patrick. I, I'm usually in the federal court, but this morning I went over to the state court to check in, do a temperature check on, um, on the Trump state case, because it's, it's still going. In fact, the closing arguments are not until January. Most of the most of the news reports about it have been how uh, you know Trump is now going to get screwed if he if he criticizes the, the law clerk that it's been the gag order is back in place and Judge Engoron has said I'm going to enforce it ruthlessly, but today just and then I'll, I'll today they had on the ex, on the stand a, a Trump Organization real estate expert and he did seem very expert to me he was saying like hey. These loans are all are all normal. And the judge himself was questioning him and saying, I don't understand if it's LIBOR plus two basis points. And I sat found myself thinking, like, what is this case about, really about? A judge second guessing the interest rates of loans for the Doral Golf Club in Florida. But there it is. I mean, I'm sure they must have more. But every time I check, all I see it is Monday, Monday morning quarterback game for Deutsche Bank's loan, loan decisions. Um, but I did yeah. go to check because I thought I could give you some hot news. I thought Engoron might like freak out or nothing happened. So this, here well, I this am, is what everyone's saying case. about everyone's saying about this case, uh, Matthew, is that there's nothing unusual here, or this is not like uh, this is this isn't atypical behavior between the bank, a client, and then the markets. Because at the end of the day, what is Deutsche Bank interested in? The end, they want a return on investment, right? They want an ROI, and they're going to get their ROI. Why? Because Donald Trump, for similar real estate projects, has turned a profit. So it doesn't really come down to that at the end. And like you said, it's just you know backseat driving of what is normal business. It's a totally yeah. It's profit. a weird case. If if you could prove that Trump said, when I'm president, I'll screw you, Deutsche Bank, unless you drop <laughs> my interest rate, or yeah. when I'm president, I'll give you special business, then it would be a criminal case called extortion or whatever you would want to call it. But I agree. As as things stand, and I thought the guy today was kind of a big, beefy real estate guy, but he, he was very self-assured. He was like, no, Your Honor, that's not how it works in real estate. And Engram was like, well, okay, if you say so, because in the, in the end, I, I'm I don't think they're going to necessarily, I'll get into the prediction prediction game for once. I don't think they're going to truly blow apart his, 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 the Trump organization, but they're going to impose a large fine. They're going to say that you, you got lower rates because you didn't. Today, the dispute was about whether he disclosed that they were going to renovate the Doral Golf Club or not. And if he fully disclosed, they might have charged a higher rate. And it's just like, that's up to the bank. Let the bank sue for the money. You know what I mean? And they're not suing. But then again, maybe they're still afraid of Trump, as many people apparently are, because the gag orders are are, are in place. And today, another decision, he can be sued civilly for January 6th. So you're going to see a slate of suits of people saying they were injured, including Capitol Police, I'm sure, and others. Uh, maybe people that were late to, you know, the traffic, they couldn't get through, whatever it is, he's on the hook. So there's going to be increased civil litigation on all fronts. And and so, I saw so there just, was a quote from Letitia James. Go ahead. No, it's quickly. You're just flooding the space with cases and yeah. indictments. I mean, I, none of these have, to me, don't have a lot of prospects of 
turning anything serious in on the other side. They're just basically f flooding the space with lawfare. That's the way I'm looking. It's at all it. in the time. Yeah, it's all in the timing of the cases to have them be during the right. That that's why Ingram was like, well, I'm going to have the closing arguments in early January and issue my ruling maybe in January, maybe February. And then it's like, so it's it's true. It's it's really it's Letitia James's quote this week was Trump is done. And it's like, you look at the polls and then, I mean, and again, I say it without, it's what a country that you could be, that he's in first place and that, and that DeSantis is, 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 is doing a debate with Gavin Newsom to try to raise his profile with a guy that's not even running. Like the whole Nikki Haley, again, reportedly her, 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 her rocket is rocketing to the top. She's ready when the orange man goes down, Nikki is taking names, as she said at the UN, except she took no names. She took absolutely no names. There were no reforms. Nothing was changed. And in fact, she 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 sucked up to the current Secretary General Antonio Guterres, who now many people are saying is a is a great friend of the Palestinian people. I will disabuse you of that, but that will be in another episode. How about Venezuela, yeah. Patrick? Venezuela. Venezuela? Does, Have you heard of how it? How does that play? Yeah, uh, it's it's Venice. It used to be a pitcher for the L.A. Dodgers. <laughs> exactly. I actually just. Uh, an aside, I just covered the criminal case of two guys from the Bronx who used bear spray, another January 6th echo, bear spray, which I'd never heard of until then. But these guys had. They robbed a, a jewelry store in the Bronx with bear spray and a hammer. They both got 70 months. The first defendant's name was Valenzuela. And the other defense lawyer defending a guy called Aaron Miller kept calling him Venezuela. Finally, the prosecutor had to, had to say his name is Valenzuela. They both got 70 months. The guy was quit. Was, it was tough because it was it's sad, right? Like he shouldn't have done it. 70 months is a long time. Then again, people were terrified and had bear spray in their face. Nobody else covers these. But there it was. It's a federal case because they stole jewelry. But Venezuela, there's a serious case here that if you go online, you'll find that it's getting some play, even in wire services, even though there's only two journalists there. And the case is. U.S. versus Carlos Orense. Carlos Orense was a big businessman and drug trafficker. And the reason I'm bringing it up in this setting is not drugs, you know, drug smugs. The name of Nicolas Maduro has arisen. The name of El Pollo, again, Theo Carabajal. Remember El, El Pollo? El Pollo was a Venezuelan general currently yeah. in jail. His lawyer has been in the courtroom all week. I'm covering this case is amazing. It's a mostly based around a Venezuelan cooperator. Uh, named Antonio Arvalaez, which I misspelled initially. It's A-I-Z at the end. This guy is incredible. He was helping move hundreds of tons of cocaine into the United States. But he was also, according to himself, by his plea, selling expired powdered milk to the Venezuelan government, resulting in the death of children, which gave it, – it's really – I have to say, I, I feel that there are people that would feel this case is unfair – this is just lawfare against Venezuela. I don't know. It seems to me from the testimony that some Venezuelan officials were involved in providing protection to cocaine sales. It seems pretty, unless the whole thing is made up, unless all of the documents are false. I'm not sure it goes all the way to Nicolas Maduro, although it's hard to imagine given these are big people. There's General Cliver. There's, I mean, I, I don't. I had never heard of these names, but the people that move in this, people in the, like at the Miami Herald, et cetera, they know all about these guys. And these are big guys in Venezuela, and they so seem me, to have. Go ahead. Let, let me get this straight. So, were they smuggling cocaine through powdered milk? 
uh, hiding no. it. And, no, <laughs> it seems to be two separate scams. And and, the, okay. and and there was a third scam. Once Arvo, Arvo it, I wish I could convey to you how how in, how personal this case is. The cooperating witness is the nephew of the defendant. The defendant is a large guy. They call him El Gordo, and he is. He probably weighs about three fifty. His head is his head is shaved, and he, he seems to have his eyes closed a lot of the time. He looks kind of like a toad. I know this is seeming uncharitable. I've kind of come to like him. His daughter came to the trial and asked whether she could hug her father, who was arrested in Italy about a year and a half ago and extradited. She hasn't seen him since. And 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 sadly, the, the marshal said no, no touch rule. You can talk, but you can't hug. And I can say this. El Gordo cried. There was a tear coming down his because he hasn't seen his daughter. Again, he might be a huge drug trafficker. It may be true, as the trial says, that he was running around with machine guns on a finca and ordering hits. But everybody loves their kid, and he hadn't seen his kid. So it just here's the problem I think I find for the for the Nicholas Maduro people is that he was running his business out of a big hotel in Caracas. He was meeting with traffickers, including like Mexican drug traffickers. And what I'm told is this is the kind of Chavista hotel. This is like a fancy hotel that all of the big leaders go to. And lo and behold, the big drug trafficker has one. Now, maybe it's just a coincidence. Maybe it's a big enough, you know, you can't judge everyone that stays in the Pierre Hotel if you have a drug trafficker on, on the 14th floor. It sounds a little bit more like, I'm getting a, I'm getting a, I covered the Honduran, the Honduran president's, president's uh, narco. He's here and also in jail. It feels like this was a government, this is a government that, at least at that time, maybe they've changed. But there seems to be have been, and this is now we'll bring back into politics. A direct quote from the defendant, at least according to the cooperator, is that the best deal on earth is to sell guns to the FARC for cocaine because you can give them a gun that's worth five hundred dollars and get back two tons, two, two tons, <laughs> or or of of cocaine because they have cocaine coming out of the the wazoo, but what they want is guns. So that uh, was that was that was their deal. So that's uh, you that's know, gonna create, it's a hell of a truck. That's going to create yeah. an imbalance in the supply and demand equation. Of I know. The, uh, I don't know where the, the narcotics is, or you know, I don't know what there. There's some exactly. There's some. Uh, I mean, I guess it takes guns to. Yeah. CIA <laughs> get in a little bit of action on that. That that that's a a good little uh, learner, uh, isn't it? It is definitely definitely uh, Iran Contra again or yeah. It's it, it back to the future. So I'm I'm in your hands. I, I know that we talked about Eric Adams. And there have been some developments. The the noose is is slowly tightening on the mayor of the greatest, well, not the largest. I say the greatest. People might not agree. The largest in the United States city, New York City, and it's incredibly charismatic. Um, up from the streets, from the from 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 the victim of police brutality to the head of the New York City Police Department, Mr. Eric Adams and his band of Turkish friends. He's got three so far. One is the campaign, the campaign um, uh, uh, fundraiser, Brianna Suggs, whose house was searched. She's been reassigned. She's no longer raising funds for Eric Adams. This is a development. She's 25, very personable. She was the one whose house was raided. Um, she's been reassigned. There's a person called Rana Abasova, um, also involved in the Turkish business. No one quite knows what's happening with her. Winnie Greco was a fundraiser for for Eric Adams, his liaison to the Chinese community in the, in New York, who happened to be asking for major donations to her own foundation in order to attend events at Gracie Mansion. This is nickel and dime corruption. 
But it's the international aspect that, that, that that's kind of interesting. The idea that that because, you know, Erdogan was coming to New York and wanted to attend a ribbon cutting, they flipped money to Eric Adams, who called the fire department and said, give these guys a certificate of occupancy so that the Pasha can, can throw down across from the U.N. That's pretty much what happened. And the only question to me is whether they're going to have the, 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 the stones, as they as they say here, to uh, to bring an indictment um, and whether it will include Eric Adams or just these other these other people. But it's it's the main kind of municipal be here right now. It's things have moved from migrant crisis to Eric Adams crisis. And and he's dealing with with a plum as usual. Go ahead. It's going to put a damper on, you know, any political ambitions he might have beyond the mayor of New York or even a second term, right? I mean, this, this is going to plague him, isn't it? Even if he's running for re-election, what do you think? I, I Yeah, there are people that are taking this to mean that that he was also sued by the under the Adult Survivors Act. But even his opponent, meaning this was a New York state law that was created largely to go after Trump, that you could bring long long uh, dormant uh, sexual abuse charge somebody filed a complaint but even his enemies said let's wait and see but i agree there's there's a gathering storm around him i think what it is that the progressives in new york who probably are going to get another the next mayor i would say this was kind of a one-off reaction to de blasio they're using this this definitely weakens him for re-election i don't know i mean he, who knows this guy i'm sure in his head he thinks he's going to be president so you never know so did so maybe did george santos and today, breaking news, George Santos is out, formally out, voted out by the House of Representatives by a vote of, of hang on, I even wrote down the number for you, 311 to 114, a, a blowout, a total he's blowout. Been booted. I mean, he's been kicked out of Congress. Booted. That is correct. He's only the sixth Congress member ever booted and the first one in two decades. Not, Not well the last, liked. I don't think. Not well Not, liked. I, I think... What happened to him is he was he survived the first round. He was indicted and he was still punching strong. And then they came out with a report that he took the campaign contributions, not only to buy himself Botox, but also on OnlyFans. He was using it on porn. So it, I think it's and then when he was challenged about that, he said, everybody does that here. I can name to you 20 Congress people that are watching porn during the session. People were just like, no dice. You're out, bro. Yeah, so he didn't. He hasn't named James yet, but I think he's going to have a podcast until he goes to jail in the EDNY case. So, watch this space. George Santos is not going down quietly, but he is going. Oh, so down. He's now is, no longer a member of Congress. Is there going to be a conviction uh, in in that case? I mean, is he? Is I would he, say. I mean, I don't, I don't. I'm not in the business of predicting, but the evidence seems pretty strong, and his co-defendant has already pled guilty. So, okay, and this yes. is this campaign contribution fraud or is something to do with elections? Is that what? Yeah, what, it has uh, to do with, with getting fake campaigns. I mean, yeah, he's not he's not really on trial for lying about about being Jewish, for example. This it's more has to do with the money. When you get into the money, when you get into like taking campaign contributions and using them to watch porn, it seems to be against federal law. Like that's not what the contribution was for, unless it somehow inflames you to to be a better candidate, but. So there's going to be a special election in New York. Maybe Eric Adams can can move to Long Island and and, and take the George Santos seat. Seems to be. Uh, I don't think he's going. I think Eric Adams will fight to the end, and he's got an army of thirty two thousand New York City police officers on his side. Apparently, so watch out. Yeah.
Yeah, George Santos doesn't have anything like that. Maybe he'll have, uh, who knows, he doesn't really have much on his side. He could have made the argument, Matthew, that uh, he was doing research because he wanted to attract uh, more porn companies was, was into a, was, the state of New I York, heard, maybe. I've, I've heard I've heard people people coming out with that. Uh, let me tell you, let me just say a little something about the United Nations. Have you heard of it? It's an organization that's uh, largely devoted now to climate change, but they do they do play around in in, in the Security Council of, of talking about Gaza, although with apparently very little impact. Today, December first, Ecuador is taking over the presidency. Last month it was China. People may not have known, but during this month of slaughter, China was in, tar in, in charge. But today it's Ecuador, and ironically, they've changed their ambassador on the very day they came in. They've sent this young guy. It's, it's ironic. He used to be an expert in criminal law in Ecuador. And of course, the UN is, has many criminals in it. So we'll have to see. We've written to him, seeing what's happening. But I didn't know. I did my, my back research. Ecuador has a new president. He turns out to be a banana heir or hair. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. He's a he's he has a, he's the heir to a banana fortune. He's now the president of Ecuador, and he said he's now running the world. If this, if you believe that the Security Council has any has runs the world. Ecuador and its banana, you know, so we're trying to get, we sent some questions uh, to, to the Ecuadorians, and I'm hoping to have an update for you one way or another when next we meet in this fire, fire, fire stairs confessional. So a bona fide banana republic at the moment. <laughs> that was my it's... thought. I feel bad, but you, sometimes you can't make this stuff up. It literally is. Look him up. Daniel Naboa, 43-year-old banana <laughs> banana heir, excuse me. It's it's even worse. Like the guy who initially at least at least if you build up the banana empire, you're out there abusing the workers, you know what I mean? You're like slashing through the jungle. When you're a banana heir, I really don't know. But it was it was a tough campaign. One candidate was assassinated. There was a lot of back and forth. And, and the banana guy just he greased himself in right on those banana peels. And now he's running the world. So we'll have to see whether in December they can they can they can bring the two state solution to bear. I'm, I'm betting not. You heard it here first. It's not happening. It's all it's all it's all at the feet of Ecuador at the moment. So yeah, that'll be yeah. interesting. And watch out for the banana peels when you when you when, watch out for your the, your uh, and and their blue suede shoes. I'm going to give you crypto. We always talk crypto, and so I have to. I'm hoping we to just got a minute a left. You got thirty seconds okay, left. Okay, I can. Go for it. Crypto is it's it's already falling apart. There's a couple of things to be said. Doquan will be extradited from Montenegro. He was the founder of Terra Luna. It was a huge coin that collapsed. Now the SEC is going after Terra. Uh, hammer and tongs and CZ, who is not a criminal but a sanctions violator, is still stuck in Washington State, waiting to see whether he can go back to Dubai and maybe remain there. Dubai, largely touted as the next financial center of the world, since they don't extradite anybody anywhere, everybody wants to do business in Dubai, including Antonio Guterres. He's over in the UAE as we speak. Oh, a lot of people. So hopefully, that brings it brings the airplane in on on time and on uh, you know. Yeah, skillful landing as always, Matthew Russell Lee. Yeah, <laughs> through Dubai the banana fields. The, it's the premier tax haven in the world, Dubai. Uh, but uh, that's for another conversation. Matthew Russell Lee, Inner City Press, our legal correspondent. Thank you very much for joining us on TNT this week. Definitely, always a pleasure. One day we'll one day we'll be visual, so we'll see. Yeah, and not too far in the future, I think. Uh, that's next up, Matthew Russell Lee. Big thank you to uh, Leila Hatoum, investigative journalist from Lebanon, for that great update on the crisis in Gaza in the first hour. And a big thank you to our listeners 
whether you're listening, whether you're watching in Technicolor, we appreciate you here at TNT. Today's News Talk, Patrick Henningsen, your host, signing out. Until then, I'll see you guys on Monday. Same time, same place.